So Job 38, verse 3, God says to Job, dress yourself for action. Dress for action, like a man. In other words, brace yourself. So I'm saying to you now, brace yourself. Because we're in chapter 38. But like like the last talks, I'm going to read from the New Testament first. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. While you're looking that up, I could have chosen, um, consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air in... uh, in Matthew 6, but I chose 1 Peter 5 instead. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. In my Bible, it's on page uh, 1016. Starting from clothe yourselves. There we go. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you or lift you up, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, your sisterhood, throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. could have also read from James chapter 5, but you know, it's limited time. So I'm going to read Job now. Again, a couple of chapters. It is worth reading, isn't it? Amen. Okay. That was a rhetorical question. (laughs) All right. We're going to read 38 verse 1 to 4 verse uh, 5. 40 verse 5. 40 verse 5. 38 verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job, ignoring Elihu. So fascinating. <laughs> if you, sorry, if you have noticed that Elihu has been speaking for six chapters, <laughs> he gets bypassed. Here we go. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you when you make it known to me. Were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it and said, bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves halt, or be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their plight is withheld, and their 
uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the deep or walked in the recesses of the deep of the sea? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that it may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were already born and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From, whom, from whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of the heaven? The waters have become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pallades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season, or, or can you guide the bear with its children? Talking about the stars. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens, the laws of nature? Can you establish their rule on the earth? <coughs> can you lift up your voice to the clouds? that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and you say to it, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their thickets, who provides for the raven? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry out to God for help and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the carving of the car, of, uh, uh, carving of the? Do you observe the carving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfil? And do you have? Do you know the time when they give birth? when they crouch, bringing forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young. Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Who has led the wild, who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey, to whom I have given the arid plain for its home and the salt land for its dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city, and he hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains at his pleasure and he searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will you spend the night? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will, not, will, he, will you not depend on him because of his great strength? And will, he, and will you leave him to your labour? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor. The wings of the ostrich flap proudly. But are they the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that a wild beast may trample them. 
She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not her own, or not hers. Though, they, though her labour be in vain, yet she has no fear, because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share of understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and its rider. Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe its neck with the mane? Do you make it leap like the, the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He pours in the valley and exalts his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He not, does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads its wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? Or the rock he dwells and makes his home on the rocky crag and stronghold? From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from afar off. His young ones suck up blood. And where the slain are, there he is. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contest with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Speak now. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. This is God's word, and we'll look at the second half of, the, of God's uh, answer tomorrow. So shall I pray? Father, we may not be able to trace your hand, but we trust your heart. So speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Aberfan is a coal mining town in Wales. In October 1966, uh, coal collapsed as an avalanche from tip number seven. <clears throat> this is a photo. 116 children died, 28 <coughs> adults were engulfed. Uh, it's mentioned in one of my commentaries on Job and is also the subject of an episode of the Netflix series The Crown. Can I have a show of hands? Okay, about a third of you. It's a real story. Prince Philip visited the devastation before the Queen did. That's part of the episode. And when Prince Philip comes back, the Queen asks him, how was it? And Philip says in the, in the show, he says, extraordinary. The grief, the anger, at the government, at the coal board, but at God too. 81 children were buried today. The rage in all their faces and behind all their eyes. They didn't smash things up. They didn't fight on the streets, the Queen. What did they do? Philip. They sang. The whole community is the most astonishing thing I've ever heard. What did they sing? I'll let you know at the end of this talk. <laughs> if you don't already know. What would get you up after such a loss? What would get you to sing again? But not in a two-dimensional cheap way, but in a, in a way of depth. Job gets up at the end after suffering great loss without ever finding out why. He gets up and he pens a song, really. 
42 verse 3, 42 verse 3, he says, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know, and he is restored. Presbyterian writer Frederick Beekner says this. He says, uh, We must be careful with our lives for Christ's sake, because it would seem that they are the only lives we are going to have in this puzzling and perilous world. And so they are very precious, and what we do with them matters enormously. We've been sitting with Job over the weekend in his dust in order to get up again with Jesus Christ. In other words, it's a death and then a resurrection. Today, God finally shows up. He's been silent to the humans in the story. The Lord answers Job out of a storm, a whirlwind. And he says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress yourself for action like a man. Brace yourself. I will question you and you will make it known to me. And so we reach the climax of the book. And up there, at the climax, at the peak, what will we see? What will we hear from God? What new insights will be given to us? What new vision for life? Because Job receives an answer. The question is, is it a good one? Is it a good answer? Will you find it satisfying? Do you find it satisfying? Or to put it another way, if this were a movie, would you want your money back? <laughs> so three questions that are on your outline and not on the, uh, the screen here. Three questions on your outline. What came out of the, that whirlwind? What could have come out of that whirlwind? Alternatives. And thirdly, why what happened is more satisfying than what could have come out. So firstly, what came out of that whirlwind? And the answer is... God did. <laughs> That's the answer. God came out of the whirlwind. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, out of the whirlwind. And so therefore, God is the climax of the book and not the answer to the puzzle. God's the climax, not the answer. Therefore, the conclusion is relational, not informational. Big difference. It is relational, not informational. So a summary for first-time viewers <coughs> have come second talk here. Job had dared God to come because he'd lost everything in chapters 1 and 2 and he doesn't know why. No rhyme, no reason, no method in the madness, like Abiphan. And as I've been saying, he and his friends sat down to a card table of the jigsaw puzzle of his life and Job's saying they don't fit and his friends say they do. you just got to make them fit. They say you must have sinned in a great way to have suffered in such an enormous way. And Job finishes his long grievances with this plea in chapter 31, verse 35, Oh, that someone would hear me. This is Bruce Almighty, by the way. <laughs> he says, Here is my signature, that the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. I'd wear it like a crown, like a paper hat. I can hear Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. It's time for a showdown, you and me. I'm right here. Come get me. You know, finally, he made his peace with God. I can hear President Bartlett in the West Wing, in that cathedral of God. You feckless thug. Why did you take her away from me, Dolores? His secretary. Job validates some of your lived experience. 
and your lived experience may well be, you feel like you're getting nothing from God and nothing but talk from your friends. Nothing from God and nothing but talk from your friends. All along, Job has wanted God to come. His friends had said it wasn't possible. Elihu says the Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. Half of that is true. God does come. Job doesn't find the Almighty. The Almighty finds him. Job is hoping to give God a piece of his mind. God gives Job a piece of his heart. Job is hoping to pepper God with statements. God will pepper Job with questions. God is the climax. And when he comes, he comes with a strong voice out of the storm. If I can put it this way, not the counselor voice in a safe place. Safe space. Strong voice out of the storm. Who is this that darkens counsel? Who himself is muddying the waters with words without knowledge? Which he has. There are lots of words. All the friends, including Job, don't have words that don't have knowledge. Because they don't know what the reader knows. Who speaks to me? At first, the speech seems like a smackdown. That's a word you use, right? You came up with it. <laughs> At first, it seems like a smackdown. But then you begin to see it's rather joyfully playful. God comes, secondly, if you're following the outline, with 80 plus questions. We'll look at the questions in a moment. But they come in these categories. Things like, were you there when such and such happened? The answer is no, you weren't. Have you been to such and such a place, you know, where, they, where the storehouses of the snow are kept? Which I presume if you live in this part of the world, it's a genuine question. <laughs> right? We, how, how, how is there this much snow? <laughs> By the way, as a scientist, you can answer the question. But this is poetry. By the way, if you approach this without a poet's heart, you will not see what Job saw. Where are the storehouses of the snow? <laughs> um, did you do all this? Uh, did you create that? Do you know how things work? Do you know how the animals are provided for? That's the bulk of the section. They start with the bigness of creation, but they move to the care of an animal. Jesus said it, consider the birds of the air. And that's exactly what God does to Job with the hawk, and the raven. Scholars argue if this is a smackdown or a boost up, is it gravitas or levitas? Weight or a lifting. Is it a rebuke or enlightenment? Is it intimidating or intimate? Our temptation is to believe the former. And we're not wrong. It is gravitas. But I believe the latter as well. God is lifting Job up and giving him new eyes. The questions are humorous, especially the one about the ostrich, and playful. Job is being schooled in a loving way. In the end, God takes Job on a disorientating tour through his creation. And it's not about his heavy control over it so much as his loving involvement in it. Consider the birds of the air, said Jesus, they neither sow nor reap, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And the implication is, you too, Job. 
And thirdly, what comes out of the storm is a simple challenge. Dress for action like a man, I'll question you and you make it known to me. Same in, in 40 verse 7. In other words, on your feet, young man, let's talk. Okay. What came out of the, the storm is God did. Second question is, what could have come out of the whirlwind? That's an interesting question, isn't it? What could have come out of the whirlwind? Well, the truth would have been good. <laughs> no. Like, you know, the actual answer that the reader knows, that would have been helpful. A truth of what happened in chapters 1 and 2, some help about the past. The reader, that's us, we know something that Job never finds out, the all-important chapters 1 and 2, that he suffers for a very specific and unusual reason, a unique one. It's a test to see if Job fears God for the things, the hedge, the wealth, the stuff, the comfort. And indeed to see if God is wrong about him. Is God wrong about Job? Is is this cynic's view... I mean, you can hear Satan saying, I'm not a cynic, I'm a realist. (coughs) I'm a realist about Job. You take away the good stuff and you'll find out that people are only Christian because they get something from it. They're supported in some way by the hedge around them. But you take away the hedge, says the cynic, and he'll do what everyone does. He'll get sad, he'll curve in on himself, he'll curse you and die. But Job stays standing. Jesus said it, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And by the way, it was hard for Job to stand firm to the end when you had to wade through all the friends. The worthless physicians. They came to heal, they left a bloody mess. But still, on what? An account of what happened might have been nice. Everyone with me? Okay, there was this chat I was having. Just, oh, hold on, there's this chat I was having. I know this is going to sound crazy. There's this chat I was having. That might have been helpful. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> what else could have come from the storm? Secondly, if you're following the notes, a set of advice about patience vis-a-vis the New Testament, like the way the New Testament does. Some help not about the past, but about the present. It's okay, uh, Job. It's a test. You know, we get tests, and this is a test. To help you to endure. Perhaps it'll make you more empathetic with others who else have lost things. All true things to say. Don't you know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope? No pain, no gain. But there's no, nothing like that here in these chapters. If I can put it this way, um, he doesn't get it. Well, he just doesn't get anything like that. There's a popular saying to have the patience of Job as if this book is for everyone who's ever just had to endure. Now, that's a half-truth. James will make this point that uh, you need endurance like Job. But this is also about injustice, not just about endurance. It's about confronting God where platitudes don't help. So that could have come out of the storm, a set of advice about the present. A third thing that could have come out of the storm is about the future. Past, an account of what happened. Present, (coughs) help with patience. That doesn't come. The third thing that could have come out of the whirlwind is a reassurance that it will all work out in the end. Which we have as followers of Christ. The resurrection is our thing where we say, okay, that's, the future is up, not down. It's life, not death. It's with God, not in the grave. It's a renewal of the whole world, resurrect, beginning with the resurrection. So we have all that. Uh, Job doesn't get that. Some help about the future. You want him to say, the hedge is coming back, baby. 
The hedge is coming back. <laughs> you miss the hedge, don't you? <laughs> you wanted to say, God is blessing for you in the future. You know, you wanted to say, Forty-two's coming. <laughs> Chin up, son. Better days are ahead of you. Job is never sanguine about the future. He has a resurrection hold in his heart. Uh, and I believe that's what's behind this plea in verse 20, chapter 25. I know that my Redeemer lives. I'm sure it's true. But he doesn't know really. He needs the empty tomb of Jesus for that to take place. God could have said, you know what, Job? Your experience will help millions, even in Spokane in 2022. And that's true. James chapter 5, verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. That's tomorrow. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, writes the brother of Jesus. He could have gotten any one of these things from the storm if God were willing to give them. But he gets something else. He gets God. And with God, a gift. The beautiful, life-giving, joyful gift of humility. C.S. Lewis, as I said yesterday, I now know, Lord, while you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? The alternative, by the way, is you, that God is a, an, an equal with you, but just above you, like a university professor. I've got the answer. We can talk about it. <laughs> but that's not what you get. You get God. So third and finally, why what happened is more satisfying. In 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, you get a glimpse into Job. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So let's start with Job's halfway through response. 38 to 42. There's a little interlude when Job has a halfway through response in 40 verses 1 to 5. So just pop over to 40 verses 1 to 5. When you hear the voice of God, humility is the right response. Job doesn't acquire knowledge. Job doesn't acquire, doesn't get comforted. He gets humility. 40 verse 3, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? You're the God of the universe. I lay my hand on my mouth. See, you've got a picture of it, right? I've spoken once, but I will not answer. Twice, but I'll proceed no further. In other words, I'm going to give up my, all the stuff in 31. <laughs> uh, in the end, Job is not full of words, which is a welcome relief. He's giving up his demand for God to account for himself. To meet God in all his fullness is to first be speechless. To be speechless. Humility is that rare gift that God gives you that brings you closer to him. For humility is at the heart of God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. 
Jesus, who opens God for us, to us, he said this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's God. Later, Job will say, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. So something new has happened, something beautiful in the life of Job. Again, Lewis, a proud man, pardon the gender-specific language, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. I know exactly what's wrong with you. <laughs> you're looking down on things and people you're a cynic it's hard to see that which is above you so firstly uh, why what happened is more satisfying humble yourself secondly under God's mighty hand chapter 38 verse 3 the Lord spoke to Job out of the whirlwind and he said brace yourself like a man I will question you and you make it known to me and then he starts with his questions were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. By the way, look at your Bible and look up at the screen if you want at the same time, or just ignore the screen and listen or read or do whatever you like here in this moment. But I'm just going to take you very quickly through the beauty of all of this. Not to explain it, just to paint a picture that's being said here. He says to Job, were you there? Tell me when I laid the foundation of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Were you there in the beginning? Did you see it all unfold? Did you hear the words, let there be light? Do you know A to Z? Like I know A to Z? Or do you just know P to Q, your life? You don't have the whole picture, do you, Job? Verse 5, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? You had the blueprints for the planet Earth, Job? No, you didn't. Did you find a measuring tape that was large enough? To measure the earth, to ensure the fine-tuning of the universe. Was that you? Verse 6. On what were its bases sunk if you were going to build the earth? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who knew that the stars could sing? God was there whistling joyful tunes with the sons of God, with the angelic beings. It's poetry, right? This is not science. And from verse 8, you begin to get a little playful humour that the sea is a baby that has been burst, bursting forth from the womb, only to be wrapped up in a blanket and placed in a cot. That's what a beach is. He says this in verse 8. Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb when I made clouds, its garment, and thick darkness, its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, like a cot, and said, thus far you shall come, and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. There's a beautiful beach in Sydney. Well, there's about 300 beautiful beaches in Sydney. <laughs> and there's one of them called Balmoral Beach. And it's where we took all of our young children when they were first born to lap their feet in the edge of the ocean. And the, the, the Pacific Ocean lap their feet in the bit. It's just it's the ocean's in a cot. And I put it there. The sea in the Bible is a symbol of evil, is now a little baby. 
the proud waves to stop and lap up on the shore, and your kids can have a little play date with the sea. How about the morning as a soldier destroying the darkness of evil? In verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked can be shaken from it? What about your travels, Job? Maybe you've had a little trip to Lebanon. That's good. What about this? Verse 16. Have you entered the recesses into the springs of the deep and walked into the recesses of the sea? Verse 17. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Tell me, Job, if you've about your visit to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. You've been there? Because I've been there. 36,000 feet below the surface. Was it you, for example, that made the anglerfish? Is that you? Deep down? So they get the light they need? Is that, you know, like there's an anglerfish at warp. Hello, I've got myself a little light here, which no human sees because they don't get down that far. I'm like, when were they discovered? Anglerfish. That's down there. What about up? Verse 18. Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Have you got the whole world in your hands? Verse 19, where is the way to the dwelling of light? Where is the place of darkness? Light and darkness have a home. Who knew? They must have, by the way, since they come out in the morning and leave at night. They must be going somewhere. (laughs) Verse 20, can you take them to their places that you may discern the path to its homes? You know, for you were already born, Job, and the number of your days is so great. (laughs) You've lived so many years. We haven't even begun to talk about the weather, verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I've reserved for times of trouble and for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where light is distributed, where the east wind is scorched upon the earth? And in verse 35, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Is that you going boom, boom, boom? That's not you. You're just avoiding them. Verse 25, who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is and the desert where there is no man you know, a tree falls in the wilderness and nobody notices does it here? Yes, the answer is yes the answer is yes to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass. Do you think I don't care, Job? I care about the desert where nobody lives. I care about the grass of the field. Jesus said it consider the lilies of the field. If God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What does, O you of little faith, need to hear? You need to hear that the rain and the dew and the ice have parents. Verse 28. Has the rain a father? And who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of the heavens? So that when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen. Or maybe go and look at the stars. Verse 31, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, speaking of the stars, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maserot in their season, or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens, the laws of nature? It's a way of saying that. The, the way things seem to work with order. Can you establish their rule on earth? You think it's all laws of nature. Right? You think it's all the world just being governed by the ordinances of the heavens. 
The phrase laws of nature, I believe, is a 19th century way of talking about the way God does things ordinarily. What's going on here? The point is that there is rhyme and reason. There is method in the madness. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. But we also find out that God has a special relationship with his creatures. For example, in verse 39, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait for their thickets? Consider the birds of the air. Verse 41, who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry out to God for help and wander about for lack of food? Or the mountain goat? Or your, what is your thing? Where's Joel Sears? What's that cat you've got here? A cougar. I know a cougar by another name. A cougar is a cat, right? What's that line? Um, you've never seen a cougar. What is it? You've never seen a cougar, but you can bet that a cougar has seen you. You've never seen a cougar, but you can bet that a cougar has seen you. The mountain goats are hidden, right? As the cougar. Is God there for them? I am. Verse 39, verse 1. Do you know the way? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? I notice the birth. Do you observe the carving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? Intimately involved in his creation. Or the donkey, verse 5. Who let the wild donkey go free? And who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? And the ox, in verse 9. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? And here's my favourite. The ostrich. <laughs> this is so great. Listen, look at verse 13. The wings of the ostrich wave proudly. But are they the pinions and plumage of love? In other words, they don't look that good. <laughs> They're a little bit mangy. She ain't beautiful. That's what's being said here. She's not beautiful. <laughs> verse 14. She's also a bit dumb. For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that a wild beast may trample them on them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Through her labor, though her labor be in vain, she, yet she has no fear because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. She's not beautiful. She isn't smart. <laughs> but when she's doing the thing that God made her to do, verse 18, when she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and the rider. She's not smart, she's not beautiful, but put her on her legs and <clears throat> she's a sight to behold. <laughs> she leaves him in the dust. And it goes on and on and on. <clears throat> that he may lift you up in due time. What's happening here? God lifts Job up and he lifts his eyes higher. Later he'll say, I had heard, now my eyes have seen. His, his horizon was filled with pain. And when your horizon's filled with pain, it's hard to see a dawn. And so God brings a dawn for him to see. And he is the dawn. We know that God, in the end, lifts him out of the dust and ashes. In the final chapter, all is restored, except his integrity, which he never lost. We also know that by the way, God treats him, not with kid gloves, but with a parent's heart. Come on, boy. Stand up, Job. Get ready. Get dressed. We're going to have to go and face this together. But it's also this. The questions don't reveal God only to be big, although he does that. 
The questions reveal God also to be caring, involved, interested. God's answer brings levitas via gravitas. The same God who came in Jesus Christ, the same God who clothed the grass of the field, that same God came in a manger, in the littlest thing. Jesus, in Matthew 6, and the Lord here in Job, make the same challenge to you. Consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. But Job leaves Jesus to answer the question, will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? What were they singing in Abaphan? Jesus, lover of my soul. Go home with that on Spotify. I think the book doesn't work if we're given an explanation. In fact, the book fails if we get an explanation. Job doesn't love God for the heads, the things. He doesn't love God for the answers either. He doesn't love God for the explanations. If God gave you the reason, is it really God you're trusting? Or would you just just be agreeing with his reasons as an equal? You'd be saying, sure, I, I trust that you have a plan, but I have to agree with your plan first. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, God is too good to be unkind and is too wise to be mistaken. And here it is, when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Job had to learn that too, but he stayed in that space. Psalm 31 verse 21 echoes Job 28 to 40. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love. So the prayer here is, God, show me the poetry. I get the signs. Show me the poetry. Show me with power. Show me with words. Show me Jesus. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. We get the gift of both, Father. Uh, The gift of being able to open our mouth and say what the problem is. To cry out like the psalmists with suffering to... Cry out like Jesus, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We get to do that, but we also get to put our hand over our mouths. We get to say, I'm going to speak no longer. And instead simply trust you, even without being able to trace your hand. We want this gift through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. So we have 10 minutes for comments or questions, is that right? And Kerry, you just boss this. I'll just keep going until you close it up, okay? Okay. Yes, I've got the hand over there. <laughs> Is it a new reading for people? Like the people who go, oh, I love it. At the end, he smacks him down. Well, maybe he lifts him up. That that might be new for some people. Yeah, so the question is, why did, yeah, why did I skip over Elihu, which is... uh, 32 to 37. 
dirty to the simplest answer is time. <laughs> I'm mean, I had a choice. I think I said this yesterday. The three, if I the three more talks, there'd be chapter three, that first lament, chapter twenty-eight, the chapter about wisdom, and then Elihu. Well, I would have added those three in. If I had another three, I would have gone through the cycles of the um, friends. Uh, Look, I, there are some, I've read one scholar which said uh, Elihu's the key to the whole book. I didn't, I don't know if that's true. Uh, if he is the key to the whole book, then I've done you all a disservice. <laughs> <laughs> I think, certainly he's a buffer between the end of Job's words, I rest my case, and then God answering Job. Uh, and maybe it's there, for the same reason as yesterday, there's more bluster. It's like, stop, you know, where's the EQ, you know, just please. Uh, maybe it's there for that same reason. Maybe it's there because, precisely because... God bypasses Elihu. Maybe the God answered Job, and you know the reader goes, oh, "I get it." <laughs> Elihu, with his young, brash, blustering thoughts, just gets overlooked. Elihu, by the way, is a young guy. He says, "Look, I've, he's not even mentioned, by the way, but I presume he's there in the dust and ashes from the beginning." And he just sort of turns up and goes, "I got to speak. All you old people have been talking, and it's time for a young person to speak." <laughs> and then he goes on and on and on and says the same thing, but. Um, <laughs> Although, although he does say a lot of things that effectively mirror what God says. He prefigures what God says in the passage I just read to you. And I guess it's more proof that you can be right about God and wrong in the specific. He is big, that's correct. But that's not what's happening here. Because we don't have, the, well the reader has the information but no, no, none of the actors do. Is that helpful? What's your name, sir? No. Oh, yeah, no. I met you now. I haven't got my glasses on. Yeah. You know about suffering, don't you? Yeah, sure. Not a question, but just between the Holy Spirit and your visuals, you just make the words explode off the page. Just absolutely remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. You are a poet, too. And uh, I know you have in Laurel um, another poet who's sitting quietly behind the scenes who has her doctorate in Shakespeare, I believe, where she did her dissertation on what did Shakespeare mean by much ado about nothing? Or just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Out of nothing. Is that true? Just nothing. But between the two of you, I just want to know, I mean, it is the poetry of this, making it come alive the way you read it, your inflections and the pictures and everything are just Thank you, thank you. You must also hear, uh, everyone get a pen out and write this down. <laughs> write Small Wonders, Laura Moffat. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, you're probably a bit embarrassed. Laura's got a podcast and it just started uh, maybe four weeks ago uh, and it's 15 minutes of reflections on <clears throat> little things that reveal big truths. Is that something like that? Small Wonders that lead to big ones. These are my words, what, not Laura's. What's it called again? Small Wonders. Small as in little, wonders as in uh, glorious things. Um, and uh, there's some personal stuff there, but it, a lot of it's actually pretty in line with this sort of the things in Job. I was thinking how unpoetically we read the Bible. <laughs> you know, like how I'm just caught in a certain rational kind of approach. Things kind of skip through poetry and don't. And, and, but this is one of the core relational aspects of our 
uh, relational communication yeah. is, po is poetic. Yeah, is pictures and, and yeah. stories and... That we need to slow down and read. Yeah. And I read our old text. Yeah. And my take on it is, if anybody reads the world through only scientific eyes, and without poetry, it leaves a very dry, often bitter soul, because you just read everything through science. But the person who reads poetry without science, because this, this passage here is 3,000 years old, who knows, but, um, and yet it's all um, early early science, early observation, and yet it's not without its poetry. I mean, I don't believe for one second that, that, the, that the person who first heard this thought that there were actually storehouses of snow. You know, I don't think anybody thinks that, even then, that, uh, you know, you went and found a shed with it in there. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like, they, they get the beauty of it. Um, and chapter 28, for anybody who's in business, by the way, is thousands of years old, but it talks about the ingenuity of mining. Pretty important here in this town, Spokane, you know, the silver and gold. Uh, it's ingenuity. It's about uh, tallow lamps and, you know, abseiling and dangling down a mine. It's human ingenuity. But then the, ob the obvious question is, if you're willing to go that far to find silver and gold, how far would you go and where would you find wisdom? If you're not going to find it down a mine, and I think his point is you're not going to find it, its source at a university. Don't get me wrong, I believe in university. You're not going to find the source of wisdom at a university. Because it's not found in the land of the living. You know, it's found in God. God infuses the world with wisdom and all we do is have to go and catch it, find it. Because it resides in God. Which, of course, all the old universities started with that mind. Because it's God's truth, let's go and plumb the depths of science. Let's go and do it with integrity. There's bumps along the way, of course. Um, if you want to hear a podcast, here's another one. If you want to hear it, right. If you want to hear this, it's on science and the relationship between faith and science. It's called Undeceptions. It's the name of the podcast, Undeceptions. It's borrowing from a Tolkien phrase. We're going to undeceive ourselves. Undeceptions. It's John Dixon with a CK, not an X. John Dixon. And type in science versus faith, or the science wars, the science wars. And uh, if you can't find it, then perhaps email Kerry, and I'll email a link to him, and he can forward it on to you. Or email me, you know. So, you link it on? Yeah. yeah. I've also got a fairly large digital footprint, so you can find me fairly easily. <laughs> okay, I'll ask last comments or questions. Yes. What's your name? Ruth. Ruth. The opposite of humility is arrogance, not power, right? So the opposite of humility is arrogance, and you will find God nowhere, I believe, nowhere ever arrogant. You'll only find him humble. That's not to say that he's not powerful, because the opposite of humility is arrogance, not power. So the question is, since he has power, since he's clothed in majesty and might, as the psalmist says, what does he do with that power? And it's the manger, of, it's the birth of Christ that is the door to understanding God.
and his death, the Son of Man, didn't come to be served, which he had every right to be, the King of the universe, God the Son, Son of God. But he comes to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so suddenly, the key to being human is to be humble. That's the key to being human. And by the way, all the secular businesses are all figuring this out. Well, I've known it for centuries because it's, in, it's woven into the heart of the universe because it comes from God. You meet a worker at your work who's full of arrogance. Confidence is another thing. You know, there's lots of things in the mix. But if you find a worker full of arrogance, you sack them. Because it's not at the, it's at the, it's not at the, uh, not at the heart of the universe. Humility is at the heart of the universe. Did I, is that okay? Yeah, fire. Sack means fire, just in case you... You There's a new. I've been You're fired. Fired. That is brand new to me. <laughs> brand new to me. I have travelled to this country 25 times, and I'm married an American. I've never known that. <laughs> fired. You fire somebody for arrogance. You know, if it results in bad behaviour. Yeah, it seems like. That, I mean, that, like I said, every character in the Book of Job needs humility. Like. Even Job himself. Because they all speak with words without knowledge. Now, they can't have the knowledge because they're not given chapters 1 and 2. The reader gets that. So they needed something else. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, Paul's name is humility, right? Sorry? Paul's name is humility. Little. Is that right? Paul means little. Okay. I don't think there's time for Q&A at church tomorrow. Is that right? So this is the last moment for it. Yeah. <coughs> Father, I want to pray now for people all over the world who are suffering, and we just remember those in the Ukraine right now. And we sit here in, in Spokane, and we, we appear to have no power to help or serve those people there's some things we can do, but uh, ultimately we come to you and ask you to help those who are suffering in that nation, especially those who believe. May they sing, as we've seen them sing, uh, as we've seen them sing. May they sing. Um, we pray for those who are suffering in this room, those who have and perhaps still carry a weight, those who are currently, whose weight feels real right now. I just pray that you'd be near uh, to the women and the men in this room who feel this suffering in this way. Father, may we each feel the gravity, the gravitas of your um, power, the nature of, of, of the divine, that we aren't just approaching a peer, but... We are relating to God himself, the creator of all things. But may we also feel the levitas, the lightness, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Um, the power that raised Christ from the dead at work within us, giving us hope and a way, a way forward, a path, and a joy and a song. Uh, restore the song in our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.